Hello everyone and welcome to the Healing My Earth, Healing Me podcast, the podcast where we explore different concepts and ideas on how our actions are affecting our environment and how that goes back to our own health and well-being. Today we're speaking with Sam Snelson, or Sammy for short. I love her nickname, so cute. So Sammy's an environmental advocate and lifestyle blogger. She aims to educate, empower and inspire others to live simply through her blog and brand Simply Sammy. So to her, simple living is a lifestyle that's intentionally living with less. And I love this because Simply Sammy is a place to learn about all things sustainable, including zero waste living, minimalism, slow fashion and natural beauty. It's a judgment-free space for all people. And her readers range from beginner eco-warriors to seasoned eco-freakos. I love that term. I'm going to call myself an eco-freako now. So yeah, I'm excited to share this conversation with you all and let's get into the podcast. Welcome, Sam. Hello. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, Such a pleasure to have you in my life and um, have you at the last Big Action Dinners. And uh, yeah, I'm so glad we're here now. And so I just wanted to start with why you're doing what you're doing. So you're an early childhood educator and you also have a blog about simple living and how this impacts families. So yeah, I just wanted to dive a bit more as to why you started that. Yes. So by trade, I am an early childhood educator and I was even studying to become an early childhood teacher. I've also been recently, I haven't been working or studying and I've been working on my blog. So my blog is Simply Sammy and there I share all things simple living and what that means to me. I believe a simple living is about living in a way that reduces your impact on the environment. In my most recent blog article, I wrote about minimalism, and that to me means consciously deciding to live with less. Consuming less, caring for what you have, and being resourceful with how things can be repurposed or reused. It's living in a way that connects you to the earth, eating less packaged or processed foods, and eating more foods that are from plants. It's analyzing your actions and really considering how you can have a smaller impact on the earth. And for me, a great example of this was the straw. At the start of my eco journey, I saw reusable straws everywhere and there was this huge trend among all these companies selling stainless steel, bamboo, glass, silicon straws. And I thought they were brilliant and they are, but I'm not sure if we really need them. At first I had in my mind that to be sustainable or to be simple, that I needed to replace things that I was using with reusable alternatives. But now, you know, as I continue on my eco journey, I'm on this continual journey of learning and I'm beginning to realize that I don't really need to replace everything that I own. To live simply means that I need to be more resourceful and more creative to consume less. Mm, I love that. And yeah, I feel as though there's been this whole notion of buy all these new things to be more sustainable, but it's kind of defeating the purpose as well. I feel yeah, like. definitely, definitely. And I, I think a big, a lot of that push is from, you know, it's, it's always from a company. It's always from, there's some marketing strategy in place to convince you that what you're doing is wrong. But, you know, if you buy this product, you could be a better human. And I, you know, I'm, I'm sure all the listeners would agree that that it's totally immoral. It's totally wrong. But unfortunately, it is the way of the world. Mm, I guess, um, yeah, business is there, but it's, it's also a good tool to, be able to have a positive impact um, if you flip that mindset in a way. But yeah, I guess just, it just depends on where you invest your money into. Um, so yeah, it's we've just come to 
live in a society that's a bit more complex and there's just so many different variables now that we are dealing with at the moment, especially in the current climate and compared to like how we've operated as humans in the last like hundred years or even way before that as well. Um, so how are you, how do you think living now in a more complex society and living more complex lives with all these material things, how do you think that's affecting the earth from what you're seeing in your line of work? Well, I think it's becoming a big trend for companies to produce more waste. And in, today world, in today's world, everything revol revolves around convenience. There's so much shortcutting that we're actually, we're making things convenient where there wasn't really a need for it just because we can. I mean, the other day I saw an ad for these, um, they were little disposable makeup wipes and they were, it was one makeup wipe and it was individually wrapped in plastic sachets. And I'm sure, you know, the average person would agree that single use disposable makeup wipes are a convenience themselves, but to have them actually wrapped in extra packaging, it seems so wasteful. Like, I don't, I don't know about you, Jamie, but I've never thought, oh, gee, I really wish that I had one singular <laughs> makeup wipe on me right now. <laughs> Definitely haven't had that thought ever yet. <laughs> it seems, yeah, to me, it just seemed absolutely, um, it seemed wild that um, I think the general society is trying to push to, to be more sustainable and to learn more about sustainability. And I think there is more pressure now on companies to act and to, you know, listen to people's feedback and to become more sustainable. So it just blew my mind that it seemed like we were going the other way. You know, there's, there's more plastic and more packaging now than ever. Um, I think the same thing every time I see a, in the supermarket, you see plastic toothbrushes that are packaged in plastic. And I just, I, I think we're, today's society is obsessed with packaging things and plastic packaging. And, um, you know, you look at the fruit and vegetables in the supermarket, for example, they're grown in soil. And unless they're organic, they're grown amongst the pesticides and numerous other chemicals, then they're harvested, they're packed, they're transported all by unwashed hands. But somehow when they arrive at the supermarket, we think that all produce needs to be packed into those awful single-use plastic bags. And I mean, for what? If anything, storing them in plastic is actually promoting the growth of bacteria. You know, you're creating a breeding ground of bacteria because you've got all those mo existing microorganisms and moisture in an environment that can't breathe. I've... I've never been denied service or questioned about not using those supplied bags or bringing my own bags. But for some reason, we seem to be conditioned by society that everything needs to be um, packaged and, you know, everything needs to be packed tightly or individually or in plastic. And um, I, I really don't think that we need to, but it's somehow become culture. Mm. Yeah. And I love when you mentioned the plastic toothbrushes as well. I went to, um, actually, this was a few months ago now, but I was in that aisle where toothbrushes were and I saw a bamboo toothbrush in Woolies. I thought, oh, this is cool, but hang on, it's wrapped in plastic. So this is just yeah. defeating the purpose as well. <laughs> yeah, I read, um, I read a confession of a someone who worked in a health food store in America and they were saying that, the, the customer buys the bamboo toothbrush that looks like it's just in a cardboard box, but out the back, 
they are instructed to take them out of the cardboard box, take them out of the inner plastic lining and then put them back in the cardboard box to fool the customer into thinking that that is, that is the only way that they're packaged. And it really made me step back and think, oh, how many, I wonder how many times I've been duped. You know, I've, I've thought, oh, how great is this packaging? But maybe it's not what it seems to be. Hmm. I thought that was really interesting. That, that is interesting. And I guess, like, for so long, plastic has served this purpose of keeping things hygienic, like with things like that. But with food and food packaging, I don't really get the point of having apples in this plastic tray and also coated in a plastic bag. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, yeah. And especially, um, I mean, for most items, I use my produce bags, but anything that has its own skin, I mean, any citrus, any pineapple, you know, any, any banana, anything that has its own skin, I'm really fine for it to, to not be bagged or to not be packaged because, I mean, ultimately, like, I'm not, I'm not eating that anyway, so it's, it's no extra trouble for me to mm. peel it as I would, you know. But I, I really do think that um, simply, you know, these big companies, these supermarkets that are putting the plastic bag there, it's very easy for them to say, oh, well, you know, if you believe, if you think that way or believe those beliefs, you don't have to use it. But I think just the fact of having them there and having no other alternative has really conditioned us to do that. Because if you think years ago, before the popularity and the trend of single-use plastic, the supermarkets would, would not have had that as an option. And people would have thought differently. I'm sure people would have put them into paper bags or maybe just have not put them into anything. Um, you know, maybe maybe we were just using our shopping baskets and just putting all the apples, all the bananas, everything straight into the basket. And, I mean, honestly, we should be washing our produce thoroughly enough anyway. So <laughs> mm. the plastic really, like I said, the plastic really isn't saving you from anything because they, they've been picked from the farm. Like. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the single-use thing. Oh, Jamie, it blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Like, um, once you look into the lobbying and stuff that's happened in those decades, that has led us to where we are now. But yeah, now's the time to make change, right? With people yeah. that are stepping up in their communities and telling people about all this. I interviewed my friend who is the founder of Plastic Freeport Stevens a few episodes ago and she's done so much change in their community and have made so many people aware of like all this even just simply like packaging companies using less packaging and shifting their mindsets into oh maybe we don't have to use all this single-use stuff that can't be recyclable or can't be yes. composted um i think yeah i think for a lot of people a lot of people find it hard to protest items that they've known and loved and they, these brands that they trust and they have done so for years or decades and all of a sudden they become educated and empowered to make change and they're not really sure of how to make change because they don't want to give up the product that they love so it's kind of this vicious cycle of they think that their one opinion won't matter and then the company receives that as oh well we, we still have customers buying this product so we're still going to make this product and it you know change change doesn't occur unless we um, you know, we can't, we can't talk. We have to yell, you know, we have to be powerful and determined. And I even, it wasn't that long ago that Coca-Cola released a statement. A lot of people were talking about plastic bottles and why is it that we've gone from glass to plastic when we should be moving the other way. And Coca-Cola responded to that saying, 
people are buying our product. So we're going to keep making our product because if the people had a problem, they wouldn't be supporting us as a company. Mm. And I think that there's, there's a lot of education that has to, um, that has to happen for people to really understand the damage of what is happening. And, and I mean, what, what we're contributing to and also understand that um, giving up, when I say giving up a product, I don't mean cold turkey, quit, never drink Coke again in your life. I mean, maybe this week you're going to buy less or maybe this week you're going to tell someone that you know about something shocking that you heard. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing. It doesn't have to be, a, um, you know, I'm perfect or I'm not doing anything. I really think that being aware of these issues and talking about these issues is doing something and it's doing enough. Mm, that's it hey like little steps that can make such a massive impact and yeah like, definitely mm, and like I love particularly like the work that you're doing as an early childhood educator and you being so passionate about this you're pretty much training our future leaders the, the leaders and the people that are going to be living in the society that we are creating and co-creating at the moment that's they're going to be living in this in the next like decades centuries to come so i feel as though we're in such a an awesome space where we can make it better for them um yeah i'd love to hear too what are the changes that you've implemented like within yourself and in the space where you're working at as an early childhood educator to educate these kids at the moment I'm, i'm not working and i i have varied um, insights and opinions and, you know, different experiences because of different centers that I've worked. But I think in, in my experience, this isn't a generalization. This is honestly what I've seen. I've seen community preschools and long daycare centers that are vastly, vastly different. And I I think the, the main reason to put down here is funding, but, um, in this, like I've worked in community centers that, um, Oh, they are absolutely incredible. It would blow your mind how involved they are with their community. And, you know, I've seen children care for chickens and separate their scraps for the worm farms and build a mud kitchen entirely out of repurposed wood. And I think looking at, looking at the big picture, if, if we were educated at before five years old, the way that we um, are, are trying to educate these children... I think that the same issues that we're experiencing today, we, we either mightn't be experiencing, you know, we mightn't be facing them or we mightn't be facing them to the extent that we are. And I honestly think that these values, we, we know that the first seven years of life are fundamental to the development and the impression we, you know, um, the influence of values. So I think, you know, now's the time we need to act. We need to be teaching children the value of sustainability and um, I, I do think it's quite hard. I think in a lot of centres, um, particularly being a low-paid industry, uh, most educators that I've met are so overwhelmed with the existing workload that it seems so difficult to have the time and resources to make change within the workplace. Mm. And even then, it comes down to education as well. So um, I don't think that there's enough education, um, like staff training, around why it is that educators should care. I think for a lot of educators, it comes down to clocking in, clocking out, getting all of the programming and physical, actual work done. And as terrible as it is to say, we all want to believe that, you know, forming 
trusting relationships and teaching them about sustainability and the environment and all of those things. But for a lot of people, it is a job. They clock in, they clock out, they get paid. And as terrible as that is to say, being such a low paid industry has made it, it's put incredible pressure on the educator to do their job, let alone to do it with passion and excitement and purpose. So I think that the industry has definitely has a long way to go. But I, I also know that um, I'm very positive because I meet people who are very like-minded to me and, you know, we want to change, we want to do better. And looking back on my school experience, I remember in school, the, the only things that we were taught about the environment was pretty much like clean up Australia Day. We got to go outside and we, we all put on gloves and we all picked up rubbish, but there was never there were these kind of experiences or events, but there was never education. There was never, why are we doing it? Where did this waste come from? Where does it need to go? Why does it need to go there? And if you've ever met a child under five, you know that that's the questions that they're asking. They, they are curious, they're capable, they want to know, they want to learn. And I think that we need to provide them with the right tools so that they can thrive. And like, I mean, in a lot of centres that I've worked at, they think that, you know, sustainability is a kind of tick the box approach where we have a yellow recycling bin over there that the children can use. So tick, we've done recycling, we are sustainable. But I really believe that sustainable education is an approach. It's a way of education. It's not a once off or a tokenistic kind of um, approach. It needs to be thorough and it needs to be thoughtful. Yeah, and I love that you mentioned as well that they don't really explain the why, which like, is one of the reasons why I like starting these um, podcast episodes with why is because like that's the main motivator. So if yeah. kids don't understand why we're doing it, why would they, like what's the yeah. purpose of them remembering all these oh, things yeah. about recycling and sustainability? <laughs> yeah, no, I remember being, um, I was in high, um, no, primary school. I was in one of the later years of pr- um, primary school and there was someone who came in for the day and we all sat in the hall and we, we learned about the environment in this way that was very, very, um, it was kind of negative and preachy and it didn't really teach us the world why it didn't explain where rubbish goes once it goes to landfill or um, it didn't explain why eating less meat is good for the environment or why using less electricity it was a very um i don't know if you remember jamie but there seemed to be this period where people were talking about global warming and there were there was a lot of talk about turn your lights off use less water all and i I felt like i was being sent all these confusing messages but no one ever said to me this is why I don't know if you experienced the same thing. <laughs> mm, yeah, definitely. Like I didn't grow up in Australia, but I've definitely felt that. And yeah. I guess for me, like I've seen, because I grew up in one of the major cities in the Philippines and I've seen so much waste over there that it's, that's kind of when it dawned on me, like, holy heck, like we actually need to clean this up yeah. because it's going yeah. into the water, which hang on, that's probably going to go into the humans that are living close to the water or probably not even that close to the water, which... I totally agree, yeah. Mm. I think that we're we're so privileged and we are lucky and I am grateful, no doubt, but I think that we're so privileged to not see what it is that goes on in other communities around the world. And I think the average person probably doesn't think about how these issues affect them or affect their health or affect the environment because it's not talked about. It's 
there's all these companies that, you know, they promote their cheap clothes, but they don't want you to know how much waste the company makes or how little they pay their workers or, um, you know, from the storefront, you see the $8 shirt. You don't see where it's come from or the conditions that it was made in. So in Australia, it's very easy to turn a blind eye to the environmental issues. And I, I think because of that, the average person probably isn't interested or motivated to create change. It's, it's a real shame that um, when you're not seeing it and when you're not exposed to it or interested in learning about it, it can be very easy to um, live conveniently rather than living thoughtfully. And I love that term, living thoughtfully and like being more intentional um, with everything that's going on. So like um, back to being my question earlier as well. So yeah, you mentioned like the lack of resources for early childhood educators and educators in general to be able to facilitate that space for learning and in terms of sustainability. What, so like growing up for me, a lot of like the crafts when I was a kid was just filled with glitter. And we were talking about this the other night when we were catching up, um, that just, yeah, <laughs> our shared hatred for glitter and for all different reasons, oh, not just so because bad. it gets everywhere, so but also it's plastic. Um, I was I got talking to a woman the other day and she was telling me about how proud of her child she was. Um, her child was at a, a birthday party or something and she got um, the child was offered a balloon and the child said, no, thank you, I, I don't want one. They're bad for the environment. And this parent was oh. telling me how proud she was because um, it wasn't, she felt like her, her nagging or her insisting had, had finally paid off because um, the child was interested in it too. You know, mm. the child felt empowered and the child felt as though they could make decisions about their world that, you know, positively impact the environment. And I think that's such a, it was such a beautiful, wholesome story to hear. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Oh, that just makes I think, my heart I think so happy. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I think the child was only six or seven, so quite young. But um, even when you go to climate marches and, you know, when you see children that are actively becoming involved, I think it makes people more aware that, yes, they are children, but they actually are very, very capable. And at some point, they're going to be running the world. <laughs> we need to have more faith in the future generations because, they're not here to take part. They're here to take over. I think that um, if, we, if we do invest more in younger people, and my line of work is exclusively children under five, so that's, that's where I work and I spend, you know, most of my time. But, um, yeah, I do think that if, if we were to invest more, because the, the problem, like I said, it's in early childhood centres, there seems to be this... Um, you know, we, we read a story about waste once. So that's sustainable education. Or, you know, maybe once a week we do this one thing. But for a child, a week is like a year. <laughs> I mean, they, to, to, be, to be so inconsistent in an approach, it seems um, really tokenistic. It seems really ingenuine. And I, I do think that education needs to be more holistic. We need to be thinking about, everything that we do. I mean, when I was, um, when I was on a prac at a long daycare center, what they would do is instead of using the spray and wipe to disinfect surfaces at some point, and being a student, I just did exactly what I was told. 
I was told to use these disposable wipes. They were like a supermarket home brand um, antibacterial wipe. And these children, the children that I was working with were one to two years old, very little. So after lunch, they would seriously be wiped down. They would be, you know, so we were using baby wipes on the children. We were using all these disposable wipes on the ta- every table and chair and high chair. And, you know, all of these things were so single use that um, everybody was so concerned with, is that child's bottle being warmed? Is that child tucked into bed? And it was so rushed and chaotic that there was no one there saying, hey, this isn't the right thing to do. We should actually just walk down the hall to the storeroom, get the spray bottle and do the right thing. And so I think that it was that particular day and that particular instance is such a a good example. It, It so clearly captures the reality of what it is like to be working with so many children in an environment where everyone's overwhelmed, everyone's stressed and underpaid and there's just so much chaos that nobody cares what they use to clean the tables. Just clean the damn tables. <laughs> and as, as awful as awful as it is to, to have seen that and to be a part of that and to contribute to that and to have not said anything, um, I, I feel like that has really shaped my practice and that makes me so aware that when I am working in a room, I am going to be certain that I am not just following my own ethical code but following the center's policies and procedures because the center the the manage the management staff would have believed that the cent- that, that room was doing the right thing and um yeah it's really shaped my practice because i know that when i step out into the workforce i want to be the person who is doing the right thing i don't want to be rushed or panicked into oh just use whatever we can i want to be intentional because although those children are two years old they are watching, they are paying attention. We are the role models of the next generation and I'm going to make sure, I'm going to be a disruptor and I'm going to make sure that they are being sent the right message through my actions and through my language. Mm, Definitely, like leading by example is the best way to teach. Definitely. Mm. And I think also it's, um, there's so many times that I've seen everything's so single use, like, anything that doesn't get finished pretty much gets covered in glad wrap or, um, you know, all these craft projects where you're literally just sticking, yeah, glitter or um, milk lids or whatever it is. Um, There's, there's so much plastic and I I don't think that there's enough being done. I think it does come down to the educator and to the center to have a moral responsibility and say, we will not, use these products or do these activities because they they are not in the best interest of the child. Mm, I love that. And I'm curious, so what are the, I guess, techniques or concepts that you've shared with the children that's helped them understand why we should love our environment and why we should love our earth? Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. uh, on, on one of my first pracs with preschoolers, so they were um, four and five years old, I remember talking to the children. It was part of my assessment on sustainability, but I remember this is where I really started to take interest in it. When I asked the children, where does rubbish go? They said, in the bin. And I said, yes, great, terrific. All right, so once it's in the bin, where does the bin go? Oh, well, the bin gets picked up by the rubbish truck. All right, so where does it go then? Kids had no idea. And I believe they're four and five years old. If they're smart enough to know 
where it's come from, where it is. They are absolutely smart enough to know and understand and um, they're, they're so capable, you know. So I said to them, I said, it actually goes to landfill and landfill is sometimes called the dump. You know, that it's, it's this mountain of rubbish where everything gets tipped. And I said, I, I think, you know, some things do get sorted. So, you know, there might be some kind of sorting that happens. But, you know, for children, I, I gave a very general, that's where rubbish goes. And the children, they, they had all these questions for me. They asked me, um, how does all the rubbish in the world go to the dump? Um, you know, what happens when there's too much of it? Where, where does it go when, when it overflows? And I was like, great. <laughs> you are presenting to me some of the questions that us adults are now having to solve. So I prompted them with, through all this questioning. You know, I was really getting all their thoughts and I, I think it was such an interactive conversation where I had such a, a, an interesting group of children engaged for such a long period of time. You know, I really sustained their interest in this topic and they eventually resolved... Their, their own problems by saying we have these problems because we have too much rubbish and the, the best way to not have too much rubbish is to not make the rubbish in the first place. So if we've got five-year-olds that understand it, I, <laughs> I really question how we, how we as adults are still struggling to comprehend it. I think that it's so, so, so important that we talk to five-year-olds and tell them the truth. And I mean, once I was in this uni lecture and um, we were talking about Garbage Island. Have you heard of Garbage Island? Yeah, yeah, I have heard of Garbage Island. And um, yeah. even like when I was younger as well, and that's when I was so baffled by the amount yeah. of rubbish we were producing. Yeah. yeah, so in this uni lecture, the lecturer was talking about how, um, you know, he, he had on one of the slides, there was a picture of garbage island and then he was also talking about how um in some places there's just like broken glass all over the beaches and you know he was talking about all of these disadvantaged communities and how they were processing waste and then at the very end he said oh but of course you'd never tell a child that and I said why not and he says oh because it's not appropriate for children and I wouldn't want to burden them with you know the problems that adults face and of course I said why not I I don't think that it's inappropriate to tell a child. If a child had questions for me, I would answer them honestly. And I think it's very important to, especially when I, th I think for the most part, as educators, it's our role to answer their questions, to help them to learn and to navigate the world and find their own answers. But as soon as it comes to anything environmental, everybody goes, oh, no, 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 you can't tell them that they're a child. I disagree. I think it's very important that children know anything from where rubbish goes to. Um, I think even there's issues that people don't want to worry children with, but I think that if children knew, they probably wouldn't be worried. I think they would be empowered to make change. And I think maybe subconsciously people might be worried to give children um, that power and to teach them because they will begin to have independent thoughts and they will begin to make decisions. You know, you've got children who want to be vegetarian. You've got children who refuse to wear fast fashion. Like there's, there's, a, there's a lot more education about it now. And I think, honestly, the people who are saying, I wouldn't tell a child that, they're probably just afraid that the child will become knowledgeable <laughs> and resourceful and probably powerful. Mm, I love that. It's, um, it's, sounding like it's more of a power play thing, which I, I've definitely seen in some of the different 
areas and like some of the different people that I've dealt with and I love the concept of like telling children just how it is because it is like one of so (laughs) my boss she's got a seven-year-old niece um, I think she's a bit older than that now but at the time she was seven and she saw one of the documentaries that showed the turtle that had the straw stuck up its nose and that's when it triggered in her mind like shit like we've got to take action because I don't want the ocean to be filled with plastic and I don't want the turtles to have straws in their noses how are we going to make this change so this seven-year-old has connected that to making change and started this little booklet that we helped her print um, with how she's going to uh, be kinder to the earth and she's um, put together the different stuff that she's researched and some of the actions that she's taking and shared that with her friends and started selling it to her family and started this task force in her in her school of all these children that are going to help make the school a bit more mindful in terms of their ways. So it's like, if oh, we give amazing. the children power. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I think a lot of teachers and a lot of parents, um, they may, may not admit this to themselves, but I think subconsciously they may, they may worry that if I give my child the facts, they may become so knowledgeable that they have different beliefs than I do. And, for, you know, for the person raising a child or educating a child, it, that may worry them. But um, I'm not sure if you ever saw the episode of there's, there's this part of The Simpsons where Lisa stands up and she questions the system and her teacher reaches under the desk and pushes a big red button that says independent thought, silent alarm. <laughs> And that's that's what I think when these children, anytime someone says to me, oh, no, I wouldn't tell a child that, I think it's such a shame that they're withholding information that could potentially um, empower the child to do more. Mm. So I think that the best approach to have is to be honest. And I don't mean to be preachy or loud or annoying, but I, I think that part of educating is this child is in a daycare room full of educators, each with a different background, each with different experiences and values. And I think it would be such a shame if that child didn't walk away from care, having learned from lots of different perspectives. I love that. That's so beautiful. And I think there were quite a few different action points that people could take on from this whole conversation. And yeah, I kind of just want to finish off with what, What's one action step that you think that anyone, literally anyone that works with children or have nieces or nephews or just little children that they deal with and what's one action that they can take that they can teach to these children to implement in their lives to be kinder to our earth and subsequently to our health as well? I think the biggest, the biggest thing that I can think of is don't be afraid to learn. And this isn't just sustainability. This is in every aspect. But I think particularly when we talk about the environment, I know as a child, I was afraid to ask the whys. And I think the more that educators and parents, and if if a child asks you the question and you don't know the answer, be honest. I, you know, I, I don't know that answer, but I'm sure we can look it up. I'm sure we can find out. And when you commit to learning, you'd be surprised how would you feel and how how much of an effect that has on everyone else around you because when you're prepared to suck at something you know you put your hand up hey I, I don't know the answer but I'm actually going to find out when you commit to this continual journey of learning 
you'd be you'd be absolutely amazed um, how much will change for you. So I, th- I hear a lot of people, um, a lot of educators particularly say that they um, they think that everyone would benefit if, if we were more like children, if we played more, if we were more curious and more prepared to learn. And I think we all need to be prepared to suck. I mean, I'm, I, I have been interested in learning about sustainability for maybe the last five or so years. And I can tell you, there's still so many things that I don't know the answer to. And I'm the first person to put my hand up and say, I don't know the answer, but I'm prepared to learn. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. And that's the thing. We're like, we're all lifelong learners and that's the beauty of life, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think it's human nature to be worried or doubtful that you might come across as, you know, foolish or like, you know, oh, I I might embarrass myself if I don't know the answer. But um, I think any time that I've said to someone, I don't know, I mean, as an adult anyway, any time that I've said that, everyone around me has been so willing to, to teach me and to help me learn. And I think that people, people aren't as mean as you or as um, you know, <laughs> people aren't as harsh as you think they will be. So the best thing that anyone can do for themselves or for the environment is be prepared to learn and be prepared to suck. It's, it's part of it. It's part of the journey to admit and admit that you don't know what you're doing or that you haven't learned that yet and be prepared to accept challenge and change and learn new things i love that thank you so much sam and um, that's so okay how, for having you. no worries how can people like get in touch with you and check out your blog what's the best way to get there so my blog is wwwsimply sammy spelled s-a-m-i dot com otherwise you can check out my instagram page which is sam dot snelson s-n-e-l-s-o-n bit of a weird one i know <laughs> i've got that all my life um yeah sam snelson on instagram that's i'm most active on instagram um yeah and my blog so be sure to get in touch so we can chat about all things earthy awesome thank you and i'll link this in the show notes as well thank you so much for jumping on with me no worries it's been a pleasure Thank you for taking the time to listen to another episode of Healing My Earth, Healing Me. I'd love to hear from you, so feel free to connect with me on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And I'm excited to catch you at the next episode.